Welcome to Orion Valley. film listeners i'm josh wall and frankly i love movies welcome to my podcast where i dissect films with fellow film enthusiasts and figure out why we love the medium so much today is october 20th and i'm going to give you guys another entry into the diary of my film watching journey i will be talking about all the films that i have logged on letterboxd from october 1st through october 15th first part of the best time of the year got some good spooky stuff to talk about but before we do Obviously, if you like the show, please make sure to like, comment, subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice. Give us a rating of five stars. Let us know what you like about the show. You can also follow the show on social media on Facebook and Instagram at Frankly I Love Movies and on Twitter. It's frankly underscore podcast. And of course, you can follow me on Letterboxd at Big Walls 21 for all recent movie reviews. Just a quick reminder. Also, the show is back to doing standalone programming I released the first new episode on train spotting last week. You guys can listen to that. And then coming up next week, I'll have a conversation with Alex Coburn about the Japanese film House or Su. I'm very excited to get that out to you guys. It's perfect for the Halloween season. All right. Without further ado, let's get right in to the films I watched. Starting off on October 2nd, I watched for the very first time, believe it or not, I had never seen it, My Neighbor Totoro. Um, I was doing uh, a standalone episode uh, all about it, so it was time to finally cross it off of my Ghibli list. I had a really wonderful conversation with Rihanna Henson and her boyfriend Frank. It was like two hours, just a whole Ghibli love fest and uh, a Totoro love fest. I really loved this movie. You know, it was one of those, I feel like the more I watch with Ghibli, the more I'm like, if I had seen this when I was younger, I would have loved it. Same with, you know, Castle in the Sky or Howl's Moving Castle. Um, I love the hangout nature of this movie, the atmosphere, you know, the locations. It's not really a movie that's about a specific narrative necessarily in, the, in that there isn't a single driving force of plot. You know, it is kind of an aimless story and that can be a bit off-putting. I know uh, a friend of mine thinks this movie is a bit overrated, but... I don't know, it just, it really worked for me, and I understand why it's the poster child for Ghibli, and it was just so fun and enjoyable to be in this mostly positive environment surrounded by, um, you know, these these two sister characters, played by the Fanning sisters in the Disney dub, and uh, I just, I really loved it. it. It really got me in the spirit, it was very wholesome, and it was just a very enjoyable watch overall. I would say I gave it four and a half stars I gave it the like very glad that I got to check it off the list you know I talk about it a lot in the episode and I don't want to spoil too much about that conversation because it is really good but the one thing that I pointed out is that like it is kind of like just an episode of Winnie the Pooh which reminded me a lot of my childhood and I really appreciated so it was just a really great first watch and I can't wait to return to it again I I love that you know HBO Max has all the Ghibli films and it's been really nice kind of digging deeper into their catalog. You know, I watched, did the episode on Princess Mononoke last year. I just recently watched Castle in the Sky for the first time. And now this, uh, I'm very excited to continue to check more of their films off my list because, you know, they're just, they're consistent, they're great, and they are perfect for all ages. So My Neighbor Totoro, I gave that four and a half stars. I gave it the like. 
Okay. Hard pivot in pretty much every conceivable way. Two days later on October 4th, I watched Blonde, Andrew Dominic's adaptation of the Joyce Carol Oates novel all about Marilyn Monroe, starring Ana de Armas as uh, Norma Jean or Marilyn Monroe. This movie has had uh, a fair amount of controversy and buzz surrounding it ever since it was announced and Ana de Armas was confirmed as the part and then it received an NC-17 rating. It was going to be close to three hours coming out on Netflix. And, you know, I was very interested in it. I like Andrew Dominic as a filmmaker. I think if you haven't seen the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford with Brad Pitt and Sam Rockwell and Casey Affleck. I think that movie's terrific. It's really well done and um, definitely a slower burn of a Western, but like has a lot of great Andrew Dominic um, dream-like style visuals that I really appreciate. And I was definitely at least looking forward to that in this movie. If, if nothing else, it was going to look good. And it, it does. And it definitely, like, there are some sequences with the visuals, you know, whether dreamlike or otherwise, that the movie does look pretty dang good, and it delivers on that. And there were some sequences where I was like, oh, okay, this looks this looks interesting. This is a cool way to, you know, communicate this idea. Or it just, it, it, I was just kind of interested in how, the, in some of the technical elements of the way the story was told. And also, you know, credit where credit's due, I think um, the score is really great. Nick Cave and Warren Ellis did the score, and they do a great job. It very it pairs really well with the atmosphere and the um, the visuals that are you know that Dominic constructs. Beyond that, though, I found very, 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 very little enjoyment in this movie. I honestly kind of hated this movie because of how unnecessary it is. Um, you know, there's been already a lot of controversy surrounding the film regarding its portrayal of Marilyn Monroe and how, you know, her, not just lack of autonomy, but her, you know, how the film kind of just poses is poses as trauma porn. Essentially. It's like three hours of her just having a really hard life with abusive relationships and clear struggles with mental health. And, I understand that the movie is based off of a Joyce Carol Oates novel, like a novelization of the life of Marilyn Monroe. I can't say I have read the book. From what I understand, this is a fairly faithful adaptation. Um, but, you know, my point still stands that this is not enjoyable to watch, like, at all. And I do generally, you know, enjoy films that kind of push you and, you know, leave you feeling like almost a sense of disparity or yeah, some kind of, you know, pit in the bottom of your stomach along those lines. But this movie, it doesn't work because it's so mean spirited and is just trying to pulverize the Marilyn Monroe character. And, you know, I am not myself like a Marilyn Monroe expert by any means. Um, I think she's a very interesting figure for sure. But in the way that she's portrayed in this movie is that like, She's not enjoying any part of her success. It was all um, abuse and trauma and just horrific, you know, aspects of her life. And I, I am already going into this movie not expecting it to be a beat-for-beat beat telling of her as a, as a true character. I understand that this movie is taking liberties. I'm not, I'm not upset with that. It's just the way that this movie portrays that as being so just evil and mean and just bad and it, it just it does not work for me it was I was very 
I was very uncomfortable through most of the movie. It was incredibly unnecessary. And again, I don't, I'm not saying this, that movies have to be perfectly nice or inviting or, you know, traditional in that sense, but none of the ideas are very fleshed out here to justify this like assault on this character. And it just doesn't work for me. It's incredibly unnecessary. And I did not enjoy watching this movie at all. Ana de Armas, I think, is incredibly miscast. I, I couldn't really get past the fact that she just looked like Ana de Armas wearing a wig. And, you know, she's definitely trying. She's really, really going for it, and I can't fault her for that. But I couldn't see past Ana de Armas. You know, at, at points her accent comes through, and it's very distracting, and it doesn't work, especially when she's trying to give an emotionally, like, powerful moment, like when she's, like, there's a couple scenes where she's like yelling at somebody and, you know, Ana de Armas is a Cuban actress, so her accent comes through and it takes me out of it, you know. Um, so I just don't find, and I've liked her in pretty much everything else I've seen her in, Blade Runner, Knives Out, No Time to Die, she's great. This just isn't, this wasn't the right role for her. And it proves that she can do dramatic stuff, sure, like she's got the ability and stamina to push herself and wants to try, you know, more dramatic, serious-toned roles, this just wasn't it for me. Total miscast, and I just felt like morally the movie itself was just so bankrupt and mean, and I just, I hated it. I really hated watching this movie. I thought it was so, so terrible. And uh, it's it's unfortunate because everyone involved is very talented and, you know, I would assume believed in what they were trying to do and show. And I can't fault them for that. And if you like this movie, that's totally fine. Of course. Um, and again, I don't want to come across as me just saying like this movie is bad because it made me feel bad. Like it's not, like I said, I have enjoyed movies that leave you with like kind of a kick in the stomach. You know, we did a whole episode on bicycle thieves is coming out soon, but like this movie just, is it doesn't work it's just it's kind of a broken movie and it's unfortunate so i gave this movie one star and i did not give it the like the next day on october 5th i was over um i was on a zoom call with my buddy tyler harner who was on the train spotting episode recently and we decided to do kind of a virtual movie screening night thing and we watched uh, jason x from 2001 the 10th Friday, the 13th film where Jason is cryogenically frozen and found in the year 2455, I believe is what it is, and sent to space. And, you know, what, what more, what more could you ask for? I am not the biggest fan of the Friday, the 13th franchise. I haven't done like the biggest deep dive into them. Like I've seen Jason X, I've seen Freddy versus Jason, but some of the originals like just kind of missed me. So I know more of like the goofy side of Jason and like the Friday, the 13th remake is like a classic, really bad, goofy, hilarious horror movie from the late aughts. And, you know, there's some famous kills from this movie, so I was already going in expecting to have fun. And this movie is not good. This movie's very bad. But God damn it, if Tyler didn't and I didn't have like just a blast kind of ripping it apart. Because there's things that don't make sense. There's bad acting. There's insane 2000s character choices. 
and not just in terms of the decisions that they make, but in terms of the actual structure of a character where you're like, wow, yep, that's where we were in 2001. (laughs) Yeah, if I was watching this movie, you know, by myself on like a, you know, a, a random weekday afternoon, I probably wouldn't have enjoyed it as much, but we definitely had a good time with it. But that, you know, I I think if I was just watching it as itself, I I probably would have given it like one star, a half star or something. So I gave it a one and a half star because of how how much fun we had just tearing it apart. And yeah, if you're looking for, you know, a movie to give your friends something fun to, to jaw over while you're you're drinking or smoking or whatever, Jason X is not a bad bet because of how processed it is i think is a good word because this movie came out in between jason goes to hell and freddy versus jason they needed like an in-between movie like to come out in between those two because freddy versus jason was taking longer and they're like here's jason x to hold you over and it you know it does kind of feel like just like an appetizer of a friday the 13th movie in that sense um yeah it's like it's friday the 13th mixed with like lost in space essentially um and so we had a fun time kind of uh, ripping it apart. And uh, in that sense, it was good. But no, it's a, it's a very, very bad movie. Um, so I give it one and a half star. Um, I think really the only context to watch it in is with friends when you're making fun of it. Um, watching it by yourself is, does not sound like a good time at all. On the next day on October 6th, settled in for a rewatch, I went with Young Frankenstein, the Mel Brooks 1974 classic spoof comedy of the old Universal Monster movies particularly, obviously, Frankenstein. I've seen this movie so many times when I was a kid, and I don't think I've actually seen it all the way in full since maybe middle school. It's been a really long time, but I've seen clips since then. But a lot of people have this on their like yearly Halloween lists and, you know, to get them in the spirit of the season. And, you know, I do not blame them. This movie is perfect. It is a five-star movie. It is a masterpiece. It is by far Mel Brooks' best movie. Whether it's his funniest movie can definitely be disputed because his humor is um, somehow there is a, th- a thread through all of his movies and then there also isn't, you know. Um, I love Mel Brooks to death. You know, he was very influential on me and, you know, the way that he makes movies and his writing style is so um, is so infectious. Blazing Saddles, this, silent movie, Robin Hood Men in Tights, Spaceballs. All great stuff, but this one to me, what stands out about this one is that it's actually a very well-made movie. You know, I I think like you could go back and forth about like this and Blazing Saddles being his best. I think this is the best made movie that he ever made, though. It looks phenomenal. It's an elevated, in that sense, it almost elevates the universal films of um, of the 30s. Like the original, and I'm not to not to besmirch those films because they're all they're classics for a reason. The original, if you've never seen the original Frankenstein, it's fantastic. Please check that out. But you know, th- this movie's not like the spoof movies that came after it in like the '90s, or you know, it's not like another teen movie or um, or epic movie or disaster movie or any of that. This movie has like filmmaking. You know, it has sets. It's got style. It's got pacing characters you know and they're clearly interested in telling a story with very uh with a lot of space in between for the actors to play and there's a lot of great improving you know all the performances i mean gene wilder what can you say about him that hasn't been said already the man was a genius 
wonderful performer. It's always great to see Madeline Kahn, you know, in this. Uh, she's really fun and, you know, just makes me want to rewatch Clue the movie, which I always do. I'm always down for a rewatch of Clue. And, yeah, it's, a, it's you know, got those good spooky vibes, you know, definitely when they're walking through the house, the atmosphere of finding the library and um, Peter Boyle as the monster. Like, everything is just so well done and it's so funny and it just moves. Again, it's just I was shocked at how well made of a movie it was. It's just I think it's one of the most successful comedies ever made. And again, perfect for the Halloween season because it's a perfect movie to watch at night. Even though I didn't watch it at night, it like just gives the atmosphere of darkness and the black and white is so beautiful. I love Mel Brooks. We'll definitely do an episode on one of his films uh, one day for sure. So four star, five stars, excuse me, for Young Frankenstein. Gave it the like, and I this was a rewatch for me. Um, it was really great to reevaluate it. A few days later, on October 9th, I wanted to do a new watch, and I had been uh, noticing that the Hellraiser film on Hulu was getting a lot of traction. I had never seen the original film, so I went with uh, Clive Barker's um, Hellraiser from 1987, this movie is fucking gross. Oh my God. I was n not expecting it. Lots of amazing makeup and body horror. I didn't really know what the story was. This was one of those of like, consider, I, I, I don't know if you would consider, I don't consider this a slasher film, but of some of the classic movie monsters that have come out in the past, like, you know, 50 years, Michael Myers, Jason, Freddy Krueger, Pinhead is on that list. But I didn't really know what the story of Hellraiser was, you know, and what the Cenobites were and what Pinhead was and what the actual framing device of the... Because this movie spawned a series of 10 films, right? And I had heard people talking about it and that it's just like incredibly gross and graphic and disturbing and it's body horror. I wouldn't necessarily call this movie scary. There's definitely like a couple parts of scares that did get me. Um, not to say that it isn't a horror movie or isn't a scary movie. I didn't personally get scared by it. I was just definitely like, like wincing, you know, throughout it because there's so much like body pain and horror like within there. And it's just like gross to watch. But the makeup is so good. You know, there's a lot of decomposing bodies and bodies coming back to life and a lot of flesh and scar tissue and the level of detail that they have um, throughout this entire film is lovely. You can tell that it's made for a bit of a lower budget, like a lot of film grain, a lot of, um, you know, a lot of the budget probably went into the effects. So some of the performances kind of take the back seat in a way i think in particular the uh the daughter i'm blanking on her name but the uh the daughter the main one of the main characters in the film uh sometimes i'm like okay i, I buy what you're doing and other times i really don't um but it doesn't it doesn't fully take me out of it because i actually think there's a good charm to it because of how original the film is you know and they're working with the shortcomings that they have and uh, clearly kind of flying by the seat of their pants to make the movie. But there's so much originality in the story and the world building, you know, all the stuff of the Cenobites and, the, and you know, where they come from. And the characters are really good, like the main woman that we focus on and how, you know, she changes in her relationships with everyone around her and what she does. 
I was really surprised by how much the movie sings. Like, honestly, like it's, it just works. It really flies. It's so engaging. I struggle to say, I don't necessarily say it's fun, but it was, I was never bored and I really loved just kind of being locked into this story. And I'm excited to, I haven't watched the Hulu one yet, um, but I, I probably will for the next um, diary entry because the next diary entry is going to be like, hopefully, fingers crossed, nothing but horror movies. Um, but yeah, I really loved this movie. I, I thought it was really great. I, I gave it four stars. I gave it the like. If you've never seen it, no going in, there's, there's a lot of gross stuff, a lot of body horror. So if that's not your thing, you will not like this movie. But if you are okay with that, I think that you will be pleasantly surprised by how uh, much the movie moves. You know, it's about a 90-ish minute movie, 90 minutes, some change, something like that. Um, so it's not that big of a commitment. And even then, like, again, you're in and you're out. You move, It moves, and it's so well done. Part of me wants to go into some of the sequels, and then the other part of me is like, this, there's so fucking many. There's so many. It's like, I, when I say, like, 10, it's like, it's, literally 10 like it's it's like a almost a dozen hellraiser movies and that's just like that's too much for me to take on right now all right on october 10th i went back to the theater for a new watch i uh finally was able to catch a screening of don't worry darling olivia wilde's sophomore film starring florence Pugh and harry styles and chris pine you know, there's already been a ton of discussion about this film already and the media firestorm that has been surrounding it since it was released in September and since it aired at the Venice Film Festival and, you know, Spitgate and all of the um, the controversy surrounding the filming of it and how Florence Pugh is not having a good experience and Shia LaBeouf was out and then Harry Styles came in and then people just said the movie wasn't good. So all of this like firestorm like was for nothing. And it's unfortunate because, you know, I really thought Olivia Wilde, you know, I think she's a great actress and I think that Booksmart, her first film is terrific, really fun time. And I was at least curious about this movie and, you know, the, the firestorm and downfall and just like publicity dumpster fire that was the release of this movie got me at least a little bit more interested like okay what's what's going on with this movie what what's happening so i went to see it and i have to be honest the first 30 ish minutes like the first act i was actually pretty interested i thought it was i was like okay this is moving characters are interesting somewhat you know they're in a the production design is very nice it's a very good looking movie for the most part. You know, my biggest issue with it at that point was like everything feels kind of fake, like the relationships feel kind of fake. And that I don't think this spoils anything because you can kind of tell in the trailer that something is off about this environment because the, the film is about Florence Pugh and Harry Styles apparently living in this like 1950s um, utopia neighborhood. And, you know, sh some shit starts to go down. And I won't spoil anything if you haven't seen it yet. But yeah, so the first 30 minutes, I was like, oh, okay, let's I'm not really seeing any glaring issues. There's some interesting choices. I don't really buy a lot of people's relationships, but it's moving. It's holding my interest. What? Where's this going? And then around 40 minutes in, there's a big banquet style party scene 
with everyone in the community. And in, in that scene, something starts to turn. And I started to feel like, okay, something, something weird is happening. Let's see where it goes. And then in the last, like, 30 to 40 minutes, there's a plot twist. And it ruins everything. It, it honestly feels like there are two movies that are placed next to each other. And once that twist happens, the rest of the movie feels like something completely different. And not in a good way. I, it just raised so many questions. It, like, negated certain things that they showed in the beginning. Like, ruined any enjoyment that I had of the first half. It just, I was like flabbergasted by the turn and how just, I was like, at least I was like the first 30 minutes, I was like, okay, this is like a five. This is not bad. And then like the turn just like dips it down to like a a five out of 10, I guess I should say, just dips it down to a two. And I was just like so frustrated because I was actually kind of on the movie side for a moment of like, oh, this isn't that bad. What, 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 how bad could it be? And then it just ruined itself. Like I was just, I was blown away by the decisions that are made in this movie. And that's when I was like, Oh, okay. I see why everyone, everyone justifiably is hating this movie. And I was just, I was really bummed because I was, you know, and maybe it was foolish of me to expect it to be good because of everyone else's opinion. But like, you know, I don't, I don't mind being the odd man out in my opinion at some point. So for this, I was kind of pulling for it. I was like, all right, let's, it's an original screenplay. It's by, you know, a second time director who directed something really good a couple years ago. It's got great actors in it. The performances for the most part, I will say, are, are, are good. Like, I think Florence Pugh's great. I think Chris Pine is great. Um, though I think Harry Styles is not bad necessarily. He just doesn't fit. He's very miscast and... I don't really know what his character is supposed to be and the choices that they make for the character, you know, are you learn more about him as the film, you know, progresses, obviously. And he just doesn't fit what they're trying to do. And I think that's a big issue with this movie that it doesn't really know what it wants to be. And I'm fine with it just being this dystopian kind of sci fi like thriller. But all of its ideas are half baked, you know, about femininity and a woman's choice and her place in society and you know the patriarchy and all that none of them really have a finish line because of this twist this twist at the end and again i won't spoil it really just ruins everything like honestly it just like completely fucks up any theme or message the movie was trying to get at in the first half and it was just it was such an a decision where I was I was watching, I was like, how did they arrive at this decision? How did they think this was a good idea? And I'm not just saying that is like, this sucks. I'm just saying like, it literally fucks up everything that they put in place in the first half. I was so upset by it. So um, I gave it two stars. It's one of the most interesting, you know, movies to come out this year, not because of what is in it, but because of everything surrounding it is way more interesting than the movie itself. Yeah, I, I don't I don't like when movies fail like this, but it's made for an interesting story to follow. But yeah, the movie itself is not very good. I gave it two stars. It did not give it the like. Moving on. So I know this is a show all about movies and, you know, I love movies very, very much. But I need to drift a little bit into TV territory because recently I have been rewatching Twin Peaks 
and this, you know, if you're unfamiliar somehow, this is um, David Lynch and Mark Frost's um, series from the 90s all about the death of Laura Palmer that shook the town of Twin Peaks and this idiosyncratic FBI agent named Dale Cooper, played by Kyle MacLachlan, comes to town to try and solve the case and gets wrapped up in all of the various characters and strange goings on of the town. I had seen the first season and the first like eight episodes, I think, of the second season back in high school. And I realized that it kind of started to become a chore. And so I, did, I never finished it, but I decided, you know, I've, I've always I, I've heard great things about Firewalk with me and I would like to watch the return. And I remember liking some parts of, Tw- of Twin Peaks, like the early stuff. So I was like, let's dive right in. Let's go back into it. And I think the first season is perfect. I think the first eight episodes, you know, following the Laura Palmer murder and getting to know everybody, the pilot may be my favorite pilot ever. I don't know, but it's pretty damn perfect. And, you know, those following eight episodes, it's setting up a lot. It's moving. It's got a lot of connective tissue and it works. Then you get into season two. And I really think that season two is three seasons of the show meshed together. The first season's eight episodes and the second season is 22 episodes. And the first like eight or nine are one storyline. The next like five are another. And then the last six are another. And it definitely makes for a very slow watch because those first eight or nine episodes you know, Lynch is still on board as the showrunner, and it's got some cool stuff in it, some really good imagery and some frightening sequences. Episode seven in particular of season two that David Lynch directed is, other than the pilot, probably my favorite episode of the show. It's so terrifying and so Lynchian and just wonderful that I, I loved it. But then after that, it really, they, they make some insane choices with some character subplots you could tell the network is getting way too involved. You know, I don't know who was running it after Lynch left, but it was really tough to get through. Like, it was hard to really push through. And I I heard the ending of season two is good. And I was like, okay, just keep going. And it, it does, I will say, it definitely does pick up momentum in those final, like, five-ish episodes. And I was like, okay, all right, let's see, let's see where it goes. Let's see where it goes. And when I tell you that questions left unanswered, you know, that phrase gets attributed a lot with Twin Peaks that doesn't even do it justice to where this series ended. Like it was clear that, you know, they wanted to do something else with it and then it got canceled. And there are like four or five or like even more big character questions that are completely left unanswered by the ending of this show. And it's upsetting because there are so many things where I was like, wait, what? But like, but what about, and and it's, it's, un- it's unfortunate that, I mean, and I, again, I haven't watched The Return yet. I'm very excited to do so, to just not have those questions answered for, you know, 30 years as just a fan of the show is probably just an insane feeling. And, you know, it, it's it's unfortunate. And so it make like as an overall show makes for somewhat of a frustrating watch because you I challenge anybody to watch that pilot and not be sucked in or really to watch like the whole first season, the whole first season, those eight hours are so good and so interesting and so well paced and so smart that you want season two to be just as good. And even in the first like eight episodes, like I was saying, there are some moments where you're like, is this where we're going? But you still kind of trick yourself to keep going. 
And then once you get past that, then the show really honestly kind of starts to suck. Like there again, there are just some decisions and character plots where I'm just like, I thought I was watching Twin Peaks. Like, I thought this was a show about like a murder case. Now, now, now what are we doing? And it's unfortunate, though. I do think, you know, the show was incredibly ahead of its time in the realm of popular television programming and melding that with, you know, filmmaking, which we'll talk about with Firewalk with me in a second. But I, I do really love the show as a whole. I, I will say I would I would give it I would give it four stars and the like, because the good, you know, massively outweighs the bad in my mind. The first season's perfect. The first third of the second season is pretty dang good. It's really that middle chunk of season two that's like really tough. And I was watching it on Paramount Plus with ads, so it made it even harder, you know, to like wait to get back to the thing I wasn't really enjoying watching, but I wanted to finish it so I could move on. So I, I gave the show like four stars and I still gave it the like, but the first season is is perfect. I still recommend people watch it and especially and some people say you can watch it without knowing the show, but I think it is way more rewarding to get to the end of the show and move on to watch Twin Peaks Firewalk with me, which is the prequel film following the final days, like the last week, I believe, of Laura Palmer's life in Twin Peaks. It is an amazing movie. It's so good. It's some of Lynch's best sequences. It's a perfect companion piece to the show because of how terrifying it is. And it is a beautiful movie. It has moments of amazing emotion. And it's also incredibly heartbreaking. <laughs> you know, it has, you get to the end of that movie and you're just like, what? Like, see, this is an example. And I, I'm not the first one to make this comparison. I know Adam Naiman talked about this, but like, this movie deals with trauma and trusting its main female protagonist way better than Blonde does. I think Lynch is commenting a lot in the noir genre and the idea of the femme fatale and leading female character working through trauma and using others um, as a coping mechanism rather than just her, you know, average ways. And it's beautiful. It's a really wonderful film, and I'm so glad to have finally got to see it. And I've, I've just I haven't been able to stop thinking about it. And I, I mean, I only watched it, you know, last week, but. Some of the visuals have stayed in my mind because the visuals are also very scary at points. And uh, it's perfect for um, this time of year. I mean, Twin Peaks as a whole is just perfect for the September, October, because it's such an autumnal show and you're just surrounded by the changing colors of the wilderness and you're, you know, in the middle of the mountains. But yeah, Firewalk With Me, I think, is the perfect way to adapt a television show into a movie. And this movie definitely makes some very bold claims about the show and where it ended up going. And I think it does a, also just a good job of really messing with your perception of melding the two mediums together. I think it's great. Like, I think everything that Lynch is doing is just fantastic. It's not my favorite of his films, but it's still, you know, in, incredibly effective. And I'm excited to return to it. And I'm definitely going to be watching The Return. So Twin Peaks Firewalk with me, I gave I gave it four and a half stars. I gave it the like. It was very much well worth the wait because I had just been waiting. Any opportunity to cross off a David Lynch film on my list is a, you know, is a job well done, similar to Ghibli, as I was mentioning. And I've been waiting to watch this for quite a while, and I was so glad to finally do so. And uh, I want to watch it again. Honestly, I really do. 
it's a it's a beautiful movie. So four and a half stars gave it the like, and then Twin Peaks as a whole as a show, I gave it four stars and also gave it the like. All right, we have reached the end of the diary entry for the final film. I went in for a, another rewatch. I was looking for I was I was looking around on Hulu actually for an engaging horror film, and I, I recently uh, realized that uh, there's a new VHS film coming out. There's the VHS anthology horror film franchise i guess there's there's another one coming out i believe it's called vhs 999 but there's five of those films out now and the first one came out in 2012 so i decided and i saw it in high school and i was like you know what let's rewatch that uh this film if you're not familiar is about uh is it's like a group of six i believe horror short films by some popular horror directors of the time so in this one adam wingard who directed the blair witch remake um and the death note netflix movie has a short in here. David Bruckner, who directed the Hellraiser film on Hulu, has a short in this. He has actually like the first one called Amateur Night, uh, which is which is quite good. And uh, Ty West has a has a short in here as well, who directed um, X and Pearl earlier this year. I remember thinking this movie was pretty good and pretty successful back in the day, and uh, I I still think that the first short the called amateur night is the best it definitely has some good imagery and i had forgotten that all of them were found footage and so uh i don't really know how i forgot that it's kind of what this series prides itself on in a way but i this time around i found the shorts to meld together a bit too much i found the characters to be um a bit too similar a lot of it is muscle macho guys frat bros being demeaning to women and obviously you know that is a common trope among the among horror in general but a lot of the found footage uh, films that came out in the 2010s and it can get boring kind of fast when you just like when that type of character becomes the centerpiece of pretty much every single short that's in this series and i think you know that is a very tired way of telling these stories Though the scenarios that these characters find themselves in can be a bit different because the 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 framing device of this film is that like this group of uh, these groups, a group of guys are breaking into a house to find a specific tape that they were instructed to get, but they don't know which one it is. So they have to watch through some of these tapes and we watch them with them, essentially. And there's some good ideas in some of the shorts. You know, I think that... Um, the last one involves uh, like a haunted house of sorts. I remember being kind of creeped out by that one uh, when I watched it. And then this time around, there's some really bad CGI in it that like really took me out of it. But I, unfortunately, I didn't really like it all that much this time around. Uh, I gave I gave it two and a half stars. It kind of is like really the definition of a 50-50 movie in my mind in that like the shorts that worked for me, I was interested in and the ones that didn't I just couldn't care less about. So it's really like there's five or six shorts in this, like literally like two or three of them I thought were good. And then the other two or three weren't, which is again, unfortunate because I think it's such a good idea, you know, to have, you know, many filmmakers from modern horror scene, creating a short and putting them all into one film. It's a great idea. And, you know, like I said, some of them are successful. I remember the second one being not as successful as the first one. We'll see. Maybe I'll, I was contemplating this series being my rewatch or at least this franchise watch for me because it's five films. It's not that much of an undertaking. 
and I've only seen the first two, and those were, again, years ago, so I haven't seen Viral or 94 or... And then this newest one that, like, I, I don't even know if it's out yet, but... It's a fine idea. Like, I did this with uh, Final Destination recently, and I think it's a fine idea. I'll probably go through as many of them as I can that are available to me, but... Um, Overall, I don't think it holds up that well on rewatch. It was just kind of 50-50 for me. Um, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of found footage in general, especially in this 2010s horror scene, you know. But so really the main reason I wanted to do this was for pure reevaluation. I don't know if I will watch them as the whole franchise, but I'll definitely watch the second one for the next diary entry to um, reevaluate that too. But for right now, the first one, Two and a half. Has some good moments. Overall, not that successful, though. That's it for the diary entry, guys. Um, thanks so much for listening to this episode of Frankly, I Love Movies. Again, if you like the show, please make sure to uh, comment, uh, like, subscribe, leave a rating on your favorite podcasting platform of choice. If you like the show, please make sure to go follow it on social media. Frankly, I Love Movies on Facebook and Instagram and at frankly underscore podcast on Twitter. And if you'd like to keep up with my recent movie reviews, be sure to follow me on Letterboxd at BigWalls21. Once again, another reminder, the show is now weekly, and we have standalone programming as well as the diary entries. So, newest episode on Train Spotting just dropped last Tuesday, so go check that out. Me and Tyler Harner had a really great conversation. And then the next episode, which will be coming out uh, in just a few days uh, on Tuesday, the 25th, it will be on the Japanese film House, or Hausu, with my good friend from Ithaca, Alex Coburn. Perfect for the spooky season. Um, and if you've never seen House, I highly recommend doing so. We have a really great conversation, and I can't wait to get that out to you guys. So, until then, I'm Josh Wall, and frankly, I love movies. Music